How can you avoid a bad self-storage investment? If you could learn the top strategy from an incredible operator for determining if a self-storage property is a good buy or not, would that help you grow your confidence to make more offers and build your portfolio? In this episode, Zach Quick tells us the top methods he uses to determine if he's going to buy a self-storage facility or not. And he's going to tell us actionable, easy, and free resources that you can and should use before purchasing your next investment opportunity. We'll learn more about these tips and tricks and methods after a quick intro. This is Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate, where we guide you through the relentless pursuit of financial independence. I'm your host, Justin Moy, Managing Partner at Perpetual Wealth Capital, a multifamily real estate investing firm that lets everyday people invest passively in income-producing apartment buildings. Hey, investors, welcome back to another episode of Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate. Today, I'm sitting down with Zach Quick, a self-storage investor and operator who's here to tell us the ins and outs of the self-storage business. So Zach, we're excited to have you here. Thanks for coming on the show. Justin, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So Zach, tell us a little bit about your background and investing history. My wife and I have been investing in self-storage for about four years now. Prior to that, we did kind of single family, small multifamily for about probably three and a half, four years. Kind of just felt the tap on my shoulder to completely pivot. We don't own any residential now, and we've been hot and heavy in self-storage for the last three and a half, four years. So tell us a little bit about that transition. What were you seeing in the space that made you want to transition? Sure. So some of this was limiting beliefs, frankly, but I just kind of felt stuck with multifamily, I could find good deals. Those were getting a little bit harder to do. But other than that, I didn't have a lot of, frankly, value add myself, if that makes any sense. And I was at a W-2 at the time that, frankly, I kind of wanted to leave faster. And so was just kind of looking around a little bit, driven by self-storage tons of times, never really considered it. And then really just did uh, one day and really liked what I saw, that it could be run like a business that there were a lot more levers to pull in the day-to-day. And I saw a lot more kind of runway of opportunity that I felt like I could put my finger on. So 1031 out of a small 12 unit into our first storage facility. And I'm grateful that we did. You said you saw some different levers you can pull. And I feel like that's sort of a belief that might even be the opposite. And I know even before I was involved in the space, in the investment space, I kind of thought a self-storage would be more of a set it and forget it kind of structures, what is there to do? So like when you think of an apartment building, you always think of, well, there's almost always value add. Even every couple of years, things seem to get dated. So you can always update things every couple of years, interiors, exteriors. What type of those levers do you see that helps you value add a self-storage facility? So I like to think of self-storage as like a business with a real estate component, whereas a lot of and I'm simplifying here. So no one come at me with pitchforks that is in residential, but I felt it was the other way with residential, where it's a lot more real estate with business on the back end. So self-storage, you have a little bit more of like dynamic pricing. You're out there actively advertising because self-storage is an in-the-moment decision. Someone's out looking for an apartment. It may be a weeks-long process, multiple weeks process. They're not just making it on a whim for the most part. Whereas self-storage, a spouse might say, hey, we need this. You call the one that's nearest. If that price works, if they answer the phone, they seem friendly. You're like, okay, let's do this right now. 
it's not something that you like actively look forward to and you want to spend an entire weekend selecting a self-storage unit. So it's a lot more of a commodity from that aspect. We will paint occasionally, we'll resurface the asphalt, get really nice signage just to make sure that our drive-by looks good as well. Landscaping's in shape. So there's certainly similar aspects from that standpoint, but a lot of it, frankly, is getting your phone to ring, answering the phone and doing good customer service to make sure that what you're selling, people want to buy. I mean, you mentioned kind of that impulse of it. It's a lot quicker of a process. So it sounds like to capitalize on great opportunities, you may have to be, I don't know if more active is the word, but you have to be, like you said, by the phone pretty consistently. You have to have those ads, whether it's pay-per-click or you have signed, or you even do guerrilla marketing out in the community, you sponsor events, things like that. In terms of the actual operations, like that one person who's there answering the phones, are they typically doing it all of it? Or do you have bigger teams? Is it popular for self-storage facilities to have agencies that do advertisements for them and those pay-per-clicks? Or how do you typically structure the business and the personnel side of that? Well, all the above. And that's one of the nice things is you can manage them a lot of different ways. However, I will say in self-storage, I want turnover. I want to be making sure that we're constantly making sure our street rates are strong and that physical and economic occupancy which again is the same in a lot of other asset classes, that there's a little bit of a delta and that we're kind of pushing and stretching that delta as much as we can. And again, like we're constantly sending out rate increases. One of the nice things about self-storage is it's month to month. So we're typically sending out a rate increase every, call it seven months after they move in. And so again, you're kind of creating a constant churn. So I outsource my Google pay-per-click to someone who's really good at it and they do it for all self-storage facilities. That's all they do. Some of that's depending on your market itself. If you're the only one actually in the market paying for Google for Click, then maybe you can be less good at it and still get the job done. (laughs) But I've found for me, it's better to kind of delegate that portion to someone who's really good at it. So other than that, I mean, obviously one of the nice things is it is a little bit lower of a CapEx business and that your manager or whomever you have answering the phones, as long as you have a good software with it, they can do majority of the job itself from the day-to-day of move in, move out. Ideally, they can just sweep the unit, throw down some pest spray and or a pest packet and call it good, ready for the next person. So not all of them go that way. It's not a perfect business. It's a good business, but not perfect. It has its downsides too. So yeah. Storage wars is the first thing that comes to mind (laughs) or somebody just totally leaves something there. What are some of the downsides of the business that you see on your end? Those are smaller downsides in my opinion. I mean, people do leave stuff, but we can auction it. If it's junk, just clean it up and move on. But The biggest hurdle and or downside of storage is storage. At any given time right now, I think it's like 11% of the United States has a storage unit, maybe slightly skewed if you count a small business in that too. But it's really hard to frankly overbuild housing right now, right? It's pretty much a shortage of housing in most places, I think. Storage can have the absolute opposite effect. A, it's the easiest to build of pretty much all the asset classes. Storage more than any other asset class attracts the landowner that says, well, I've owned the land for a long time. I just thought storage would work here. So in some ways, it attracts owners that building that shouldn't, whether they've actually done a market study. I'm harping on it, but that's literally the downside of self-storage. You can never 100% minimize that risk. There's risk with any acquisition that you're going to have that someone could build down the street, build across the road, but hopefully it's in a growing market and they've done some demand studies that it can absorb some new supplies. There's theft risk as well. 
automatic gates don't always work the way that you want them to. And so a lot of that's just kind of normal day-to-day business operations. But yes, from an acquisitions and or development standpoint, new supply is like numero uno on what people need to look for and be aware of. Is it new building of storage specifically that you're looking at? So if you're going to go into a new market, let's say, and you're contemplating purchasing an existing storage unit, what are some of the things that you're going to look at? Are there certain reports? Is there a specific place you go to to see, hey, what's being built and then searching for self-storage? Or how do you, I guess, mitigate that risk when you're entering a new market or looking at a new acquisition? Two main things. So I'm looking at all the competitors, basically a three to five mile radius. Um, if it's a more urban area, that radius is smaller just because it's a local business. People want to store near where they live or where they work. I'm seeing all those competitors. How full are they? How well do they manage? Do they actually pick up the phone? Do they have a decent website? Can I click and rent from that website? All of that is kind of an art and a science in terms of like, can I manage better than them if I'm acquiring one nearby? Or can I at least, if I'm managing at least the equivalent of the current acquisition that I'm looking at, reasonably expect that the demand is going to be the same. Secondly, I'm calling the city and the county planning departments to say, hey, have you granted any new permits for storage? Is anyone in the planning process right now that hasn't got a permit, but you think reasonably could get one, again, within that radius of where I'm looking at? But for acquisitions, those are really the most important part of if everyone in town seems to run a decent business and everyone in town opens, they have a lot of vacancy. Don't lie to yourself and think that you're going to be the one outlier that's going to suddenly fill up to 90, 95% when all the others are doing the right things. And that would lead me to believe that that radius is oversupplied. And then more so if someone just got a permit and they're going to build literally across the street, doesn't mean don't do it, but you definitely better account and not be aggressive for what you think you can or can't do. Sort of secret shopping the competition, right? And just seeing what that experience is like. And it's really important in any investment class. We do it quite a bit here with us. What are some ways that you can see how full they are? I mean, is that a common thing for you to ask if you're, let's say, secret shopping a storage facility a mile away? How are you gauging if they have 80% occupancy or 90%? Do you just ask or would that be extremely weird to ask? It's honestly not that weird to ask. You can ask it in a variety of ways, like well, how many of these do you have open? And I don't know what size I need. And you'd kind of be surprised at what some of the managers and or people answering the phone will say. And two, you also, for the most part, want good relationships with the nearby competitors because if they're full, you want them to say, well, I don't have that size open, but go check with so-and-so down the street. And even to the extent that if you're not sure, if you're just not getting good answers, like go rent a unit and then rent their small size, go walk back there. And oftentimes you can tell by what the locks on the units will tell you. The other thing too, is if some of your competitors do have websites, what's open? Does it say like waiting list on every single size? That should be a good idea that they're full. Whereas some of the other websites, you might even be able to pick the size and the unit. And so if you pick a unit and there's like 15 of each available, there's a good chance that either A, that that facility is brand new or B, they just have a ton of openings right now. So it's tough to walk that line, but I'm glad, you know, you brought up, Hey, be friendly with them. They're going to eventually know that you were the guy that bought the storage facility down the street anyways. 
and then checking some of those back in a way. So what are some other things that you're seeing, I guess, as the future of self-storage? Are there different amenities that are coming up? I mean, a lot of people are going more towards automated. I've even heard of some people doing a manager less, I guess, facility where everything is handled through an app or through codes and things like that. Where do you see the future of self-storage? I'm still pretty bullish on, on usage. Usage has increased during COVID. There's a lot of tailwinds. One of those being actually expensive housing, frankly. People can't buy as many square feet as they may have wanted or needed, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to get rid of their stuff. So instead of maybe adding on a garage, they can't afford that, but it might be a lot easier just to afford a $100 payment for whatever you were needing to put in there. The growth in like e-commerce, just in time delivery, it helps kind of small business needing self-storage. I do think that we are becoming more and more of kind of a main street asset class. And so everybody's probably seen, especially in the major metros of the multi-story, all-enclosed that you can see on main and main in a lot of locations. So that will be more and more. I think that some technology in like Bluetooth locks instead of like bringing a disc lock, there's some hands-free capabilities that you can move in. Management, there's a ton of different ways to do it, whether you're quote unquote unmanned there's some misnomers on that. Like you always need somebody that's going to go by, like people will still leave junk. People will still leave some stuff in the aisles that you don't want it to be there. So you're definitely going to still have to have some boots on the ground in some way, shape or fashion that are going by and clean units out. But I think that the unmanned portion is still not across the chasm on some of the larger sites. Because again, I think the right person in the right seat can drive sales. They know their facility better than someone who's never been to the facility that might be answering the phone call. So yeah. Like you said, I think it's becoming a lot more mainstream as people have looked into real estate and then certain of those quote unquote mainstream real estate investments, like single family get saturated, then they go to the next asset class and the next one and the next one. And self-storage again, like you mentioned with the rising cost of housing, People need to put their stuff somewhere or if they anticipate they're going to move into a bigger place later, they're going to keep those things. So really, really amazing insight. What are some mistakes that you've either seen new investors in this space make, or maybe even that you've made before in the past that you want listeners to learn from and avoid? I've touched on it, but not having a grasp around new supply is one of the biggest things. And if you're buying, obviously we all want to be buying and growing in healthy markets that hopefully help smooth out some of those mistakes. But if you're not and you don't have a grasp on what's coming, are there any good parcels nearby you that could be easily purchased and added? Then I would really try and grasp that portion. Probably the biggest mistake I've made, especially with storage, is I overestimated one facility in particular on what I thought I could take rents to. Honestly, the best acquisitions that I've had are where you can see where the current facility is running at and you've got a nice facility down the road or depending on the size of the metro, it may be on the other side of town, but you can see maybe the income levels in those two areas are similar, but they're achieving rents at this. Then that delta, that's your opportunity, right? I've been overconfident on a facility where I thought I could lead that, for lack of better words. That area just had a ton of cheap land. It was a fishing lake, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have a ton of opportunities if they just want to park on somebody's yard. They were all willing to let them. So we made out okay on that one. That was probably our worst one, but I definitely learned a lesson in that what works at one lake or one area doesn't mean it's going to work at another one. So really just being cautious in that your projections are within line and maybe even just getting somebody to bounce those off to make sure that you're not overly optimistic. 
That's fantastic insight. If you want to learn a little bit more about self-storage, reach out to Zach. He's been an amazing resource, had some really awesome insight in this episode. Zach, how can listeners get a hold of you? Email me at Zach, Z-A-C-H at ZachQuick.com. We're actively buying storage in Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, Oklahoma, but I will definitely look outside of that for the right opportunity. So reach out anytime, Zach Quick, LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets. It's a pretty uncommon name. So there's not very many of me. Awesome. We'll put that information in the show notes. And listeners, while you're there, if you haven't already, download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Building Generational Wealth and Passive Cash Flow Through Multifamily Real Estate. Zach, thanks so much for coming on the show. And listeners, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Justin.